Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Goeiemorgen, and uh, welcome to Neve Liki Family Kerk. It is a great pleasure to be here to be and all your sisters to see. As it is right with you, I will be here in Afrikaans. I'm just kidding. That is the extent of my Afrikaans, and God has not blessed me <laughs> with the gift of tongues or tals, if you will. Uh, but if you ever wondered what the Afrikaans offshoot of City Church, or of City Church, listen to me, of New Song Church, it would be Nivaliki. Um, at the communion, they would serve cook sisters instead of bread. Um, it'd be quite amazing. I want to give by, giving, by giving you the same preface I gave to my church in the States the first time I spoke there. I am not perfect by any means. I am a sinner who has been saved by a life in, from a life in hell by God's grace. Jesus' blood poured out just as much for me as it poured out for everybody in this room and the sins that come along with it. What I'm going to be speaking about today is not coming from a place of perfection, but quite the opposite. This is something I've struggled with in a real way, and I have trouble reminding my heart about the lessons I learned the hard way. I want to begin by asking us a question. Is God's grace sufficient for us? Is it enough to cover our sin no matter how heinous? Is it enough to be our joy, for it to be complete and to not be stuck wanting in this dissatisfied need for everything in life? This is a question that is often muddied by works-based salvation and health and wealth theology. It's a question that Satan tries to distract us from by reminding us of our sins and shortcomings and reminding us of how we need material things in excess every single day. Our main text is in, well, hello. Our main text is in Corinthians, but we will be bouncing around quite a bit today. So 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, 12, seven through 10. Says, I've received wonderful revelations from God, so keep me from becoming proud. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. Is it though? About 15 years ago, there was a commercial here. I think it was for uh, Wimpy's and it starts with a man whispering sweet little nothings to his wife. He says, cappuccino, <laughs> frappuccino, macchiato. And his wife giggles in a flirty way and she says, oh, Davey, I love it when you talk for him. <laughs> she had no idea what he was talking about. If he had asked her if she had had a significant amount of macchiato, she, she would think he was asking if he needed to talk more foreign, not if she had had enough coffee. Grace is the exact same way. How can we know if God's grace is sufficient if we don't have an intimate knowledge of what it is? So what is it? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It's a bit of a long passage, but just hang on. 
Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. The commander of the power is in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we were, are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point out to us in all future ages as examples the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. I'll say it again, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he has planned for us long ago. If you listen to any of my sermons from my church back in Texarkana, You'll hear me reference the creation account quite frequently. This is because it is so crucial for us as Christians to understand who we were made to be. I'm not going to go into detail in this message, but if your hang up on Jesus and Christianity is that there is no God or the creation story is bogus or unscientific, please talk to me after this service. I genuinely think you'd be surprised how much science and the creation account line up together. In that passage, it says that we are God's masterpiece, his workmanship. We were each uniquely and lovingly created for specific purposes. And by our sinful nature, we detract from that purpose. As you can imagine, this is extremely frustrating to God, our creator. It's like if you took hours painstakingly preparing the perfect malva pudding for dinner guests. You go to the store, you buy all the ingredients, you sift the flour, you use the, your favorite apricot jam, the exact amount of salt to bring out the flavor, but not so much to make it savory. You have it down to a science and, science, and the minute the timer goes off, you open the oven and the stench of a pilchard top pizza hits you in the face. <laughs> Lo and behold, your perfect malva pudding, made using your father's, auntie's, stepsister's secret recipe, has turned into a pilchard pizza in the oven of its own doing. You'd likely be so mad that you'd want to just throw it away and send it to the destruction that it's earned. And for those who actually like pilchard pizza, just understand the analogy, you are also crazy. <laughs> we are the same way. We were meant to be the perfect malva pudding according to the ingredients. Yet we all chose to change our purpose because of our sinful desires. We deserve to be thrown out. We have earned that punishment. There is no redemption for us unless God's, God decides not only to forgive us for our decision to change the pilchard pizza, but also to provide a way for us to be perfect malva pudding again. God's forgiveness is grand. But the point, but what is the point if he doesn't change who we are back to what he designed us to be? And that's grace. God has the power and the right to say we deserve an, an eternal life of punishment for our sin, an eternal death. Yet out of his rich mercy and immense love for us, his creation, 
He chose to offer forgiveness and this transformation as a gift, not something that is earned by our power, but something that is a gift to those who believe. He chose to send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross as punishment for our sins so that we didn't have to suffer an eternal life of death, but an eternity of what he designed us for, an eternity of life. God's grace is this phenomenal combination of power and love that restores us to his original purpose and design. So much love that he restrains the power and the right to punish us, forgiving us of our sins, and he uses that same power to restore us to life and change us from the inside out. So now that we understand what grace is, we can properly answer that question. And we need to ask it in two different ways. The first way is to ask, is God's grace sufficient for us to truly pay and cover for all our sins? How much can truly be forgiven? Romans 3, 22 through 28 says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus Christ was sacrificed, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead, including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. That first part says, this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Penelope, my oldest, is a very intelligent, strong-willed child. She speaks like an adult, but is still very much a child. At times, she defiantly stands her ground in this glorious display and so eloquently and intelligently explains some of the most idiotic thought processes <laughs> through tears and screaming because she doesn't understand or want to understand the way things are. She will oftentimes punish herself in the middle of these tantrums. She'll say something dramatic like, now I'll never get to see my friends again. <laughs> or I'll just have to stay in my room and not go to dinner with the family. <laughs> what she doesn't realize though is that Brianna and I usually try to create roads to redemption to get away from a harsh punishment. We don't like punishing our kids. We get no joy out of it, and much, we would much rather see them choose the path that doesn't lead to punishment. Yet, my five-year-old teenager is convinced <laughs> that she deserves and will definitely receive harsh punishment. Long-term punishment, no matter what we say. She'll sit and argue about the punishment we are going to give her, having no clue what our true desire is in those moments. This is what saying God's grace is not enough to cover our sins looks like. Penny is saying to me, her father, that her actions are beyond my power of forgiveness, yet still acknowledges that I have the power to punish her. 
that the punishment I can willingly give is purely driven by her actions and not my choice, yet that the right to withhold my punishment and give grace is beyond my abilities to give. If our Heavenly Father has the power and the right to punish our sins, He has the power and the right to forgive them too. The same hand that can strike a blow of discipline doesn't all of a sudden lose connection to the brain whenever the signal gets sent for grace and restraint. Grace is a gift, and we don't earn gifts. Gifts that we earn is called compensation, right? If we can't earn it, we have no ability to say if we should be able to receive it or not. And therefore, we have zero bearing on God's power to forgive and restore us. Verse 23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. God's grace is enough for my sin. God's grace is enough for your sin. He can change us back to his original design. He can restore that broken relationship with him. He can pull us out of the throes of eternal death into the joy of eternal life with him. It's not up to our power. We just choose to accept the gift. The second question to answer is this. Is God's grace enough for me to live a joyful life? Is my joy founded in God's grace or is it founded in this unquenchable thirst for the perfect life? Honestly, that's a question that I struggled with here recently. And I mean broken, crying, struggling when I realized how fragile my faith was and how tethered my joy was to material things. I'm fairly outspoken against health and wealth theology. And that is the thought that God will reward us based on our actions and that if we name it and claim it, it'll be ours. It sounds good on paper because we benefit assuming we are right with God. However, it fails in two areas. Number one, we have no control over God. We haven't earned his grace and our good behavior does not a Ferrari make. We have no right to name it and claim it and all of a sudden God has to do it. He's not a genie who has to grant three wishes. Number two, if we relate our financial provision and physical health to God's love, we make our belief in Christ purely materialistic. God loves the man in the Ferrari just as much as he loves a homeless child begging at the store. If our version of the gospel can't be preached in the exact same way to a homeless child in an informal settlement as it can be to a millionaire on a yacht, that is not a biblical gospel. I say all this to say that I had let a materialistic mindset quietly take control of my life. And I didn't realize it until one day the finances didn't go as planned. One day, all of a sudden, my world was shaken. I was angry. I was hurt. I was so bent out of shape because things didn't go right in my bank account. My faith had become dependent on my wealth going as planned. I had become the very thing that I spoke out against without even realizing it. So how could God's grace be sufficient for me if I based my joy not in him, but in what I wanted from this world? To fully know if God's grace is sufficient for our joy, we have to stop disconnecting the two. Joy and grace are so interwoven. Let's look at Philippians 4, 4 through 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, that your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. To rejoice means to give joy to. So to rejoice in the Lord means we give joy to ourselves through the Lord. We do this by bringing ourselves back to the awareness that our past, present, and future are all paid for by Jesus' sacrifice. In that awareness, we humbly give our gratitude to God for his grace and then live according to the gift that we've been given by following his commandments as we were designed to do in the first place. So to rejoice essentially means to refocus our gaze upon him and upon his grace and live in a way that reflects that grace. So when we ask if his grace is sufficient for us, what we are really asking is if we are rejoicing in things other than Jesus and his sacrifice. I know that I was and still am here from time to time rejoicing in things other than God, and that's where I get hung up. I imagine a lot of you are in the same boat or have been in the same boat. Life is difficult. That's the way it was ever since the fall of man. That's just the way it is. Yet the last three years have seemed to really hit hard for a lot of people in my circles. And it's not even just COVID-driven. Loved ones have been lost. Children struggling with their identities and being tempted in ways that we never experienced growing up. Businesses have felt the economic strain and shut down altogether. Depression and anxiety have taken strongholds in those who suffer with them. Relationships and marriages have been severed out of the blue and on and on and on and on. You see, my faith was fragile and cracks formed from the smallest of tests. And it may sound like radical theology, but when we truly understand that God's grace is sufficient for us, we can maintain our joy through anything, through any test. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 was written while Paul was in prison. He's talking about rejoicing in the Lord and not being anxious while in prison, presumably having been beaten at some point while he was there. And you don't even have to just look at the Bible to see people who have rejoiced through tragedy. You can look in this room, you look around, and you see people who've been through it, and they've been able to rejoice in the Lord no matter what. I'm looking at a lot of you that I know you've been through a tough few years. And if you guys want to come back up. You see, God's grace wasn't needed because we were perfect and everything was going wrong. God's grace was needed because of our weakness. His grace is made perfect in our weakness, meaning that his grace is the perfect complement with an E, not an I, to our weakness. It makes us complete it makes our weakness perfectly whole. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 says, Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can come work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's a tough step of faith to rejoice in the Lord during hardships, to give your weaknesses over to God and to trust him. The song Weep With Me by Wren Collective that we just sang 
is drawn from Mark 9, where a father is pleading with Jesus to please, will you please heal my son? In this exchange, the man says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that's honestly the state of the human condition. We know the biblical truths, yet we are still at war within our own minds. We know that his grace is sufficient to cover our sins. We know that his grace is sufficient for our joy, and we know that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. However, we struggle to keep these truths evident in our lives because we are imperfect. And that's where Jesus comes in. I want us to spend this time as we praise again, asking God to help our unbelief in whatever way that looks like to each individual in this room. Maybe you struggle to believe God can truly redeem and forgive you. Maybe you struggle giving over your worries and anxieties to God. That one's me. That's where I struggle. I have high blood pressure because of it. Like it's, it's a constant struggle that I keep on fighting, and it can only be fixed by God. Maybe you are currently experiencing tragedy and are struggling to rejoice, struggling to find that joy every single morning. Whatever it may be, lay it at God's feet and ask him to help our unbelief, to help us understand his grace in a way that brings joy anew every single morning, no matter what. If you don't believe in Jesus and have, haven't ever experienced his grace, today's a good day. We can't control many things in life, but if you choose to follow Jesus today, you can leave with the certainty that when you die, your sins have been forgiven. You will spend an eternity in life, not an eternity in death. Please come talk to Rico, Sibylla, Mom, Pop, Brianna, somebody. We would love to tell you more about God's all-powerful, all-loving grace. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.